Amen. I want to talk to you today about uh, out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are starting uh, to go through the letter of Peter at last. I want to preach through the letter of Peter. And today I just want to start as an introduction. And then we're going to go through it verse by verse as we do in this church. We work through this beautiful letter. But if you look at the words here. From 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. That's, we're going to look at that verse at the end of the sermon. But it talks about darkness and it talks about light. Two opposites. And this, this is a call. This is a call out of something into something else. It's a call out of darkness and it's a call into the light. And it is so wonderful that the Bible says in John that that light came into this world, and it was in Jesus Christ that the light came. It is so wonderful to understand this morning that we don't have to sit in the darkness of sin anymore. Darkness represents sin, oppression, depression. And this morning, the option for you and for me is light. But it's not only light, it is marvelous light. And this is... For me, the key verse in the book of Peter. Now, some of you might say there's different key verses for you in it, but I want to come to this verse later on today and show you how powerful this verse is. So let me first talk to you about the time of this letter. This letter was written in between 62 to 64 AD. And I want you to understand the background around it. This is a little bit of history And it will fall way into Brother Murray's area because he's a very good historian. I'm just touching on the top here. But on the 19th of July, 1964, after the death of Christ, there was a big fire that started in Rome. At this point in time, the emperor there was Nero. And this fire was so bad or so so intense that it lasted for three days. It burned a lot of houses down. A lot of temples. And as you know what happens in these times, you have to blame somebody. There had to be a scapegoat. And the people turned to Nero because Nero, looking at these old buildings who were starting to age, he wanted to destroy these old buildings or push them down and to build beautiful structures there. You know, each emperor who comes in, it's similar to our politics today. When people come in, they want to build something that's lasting. You know, a little bit of uh, people will remember you afterwards when they see these things happening. So the people blamed Nero. They say Nero caused this fire to happen because he wanted to burn everything down to the ground and build these things up and he becomes the hero. Well, Nero, clever man as he was, he then thought, well, if they're going to blame me and I'm the scapegoat, he's going to turn on somebody else. And he turned this onto the Christians, this new sect, according to them, a small group. These people who's not fighting with a sword or with, with swords or anything like that. But these people, he started to blame them. And so a, a big persecution started against the Christians. This was in Rome. So much so that they started to catch these and 
these Christians and they would bring them into the Colosseum. I was in uh, Rome in, two, uh, you know, I think it was 2017, and I was standing there at the outskirts of the, the big Colosseum. I actually went inside and just walking into, into this magnificent thing that's standing there and walking inside and see where they had the amphitheater and where these things happened, I remembered, I remembered standing there how they caught these Christians and made them uh, run on four hands and legs and they had these lions coming out and chasing these Christians down and just pull them apart. Bears, they brought bears in. I know it sounds terrible, but I hope it sounds terrible to you this morning. You know, I was standing there and it was, I actually read it in a book, but I actually experienced it as well. As I was walking out of the Colosseum at one point, you could look at all of the ruins that was over there, just lying outside of the Colosseum. Were you there, Brother Murray, in Rome? Many years ago. But as you walked out, you can see all the ruins and they showed us where these magnificent buildings, huge pillars still standing there, but where Nero lived, you know, and he had a small garden, which you could see from the Colosseum into that garden. So what he used to do in that garden is he used to grab these, some of them badly hurt in these fights with animals, some of them nearly to death, and some of them absolutely nothing wrong with them. He used to grab them and put them into animal skins and put them in that garden, and they put oil over it, and they would light it up so that he can have a night there. It's terrible. These things happened. And I want us to remember that. Because, brothers and sisters, persecution is real. People are really dying. And this is what happened in these days. In 62 to 64 AD, when Peter was writing this down, persecution was so real in their world. And you say to me, but as this news spread out into the provinces of this bad persecution against Christians, because now in all of the provinces in Cappadocia, and we will see that next week as we start reading through the first few verses, these were all Roman empires. It was all under the Roman Empire. And you know, it is sort of sitting here, in Melbourne, Australia, and you hear about the persecution going on in Kenya and in Pakistan, and you've heard it last week in the voice of the martyrs, you hear the stuff here, and there might be people sitting there in churches and go, yeah, it's over there in Rome. It's not here. Have you had that feeling? They are beheading people in the Middle East for believing in Christ, but it's not happening in Australia. You know, there's a big distance between Rome and these people. And I'll show you a map next week. But still, in the provinces, the people who was in charge of these provinces, they became very anti-Christian. They started to persecute the Christians. And this is so true in their time. Now, brothers and sisters, let us not sit here and be deceived. We're living in a free world right now. But we are living on the backs of those pioneers who made this world free for us. We have to remember this. And I'm not only talking about the war veterans. I'm talking about the ones who stood up for their faith. I'm talking about the ones who died so that you and I can sit here and at least read the Bible in an English translation. 
You know, whether you, and I'm not holding up on any one of their code of beliefs or anything, but whether you like Martin Luther or not, but Martin Luther stood up one day and he stood against these things and he wanted to. We are sitting here today in the feet, in the pioneering work that he's done. John Calvin, you name these people, Polycarp in the first century. Oh, second century, that's right, my brother. Thank you for correcting me. I was just checking to see if you're listening, brother. (laughs) But we are sitting here on the back of those people. You can name all these people right through the ages, Tyndale, and you name all these people. I want you to understand sitting here today what a privilege. Not only the privilege that our Lord and Savior saved us by His grace. That's the, the biggest privilege of all. But on the back of these men and women who were standing for their faith, who was dying for their faith, who was giving up everything for that. So my brother, when you said it over the table, and by the way, Ian just stepped in to do the table and he said those words about he became poor so that we can become rich. There are people that we are sitting on the backs here in this room today. who became poor so that you can sit here to be rich. It's a privilege. Coming together here on a Sunday is just not a right. It's not a right. It's an absolute privilege. And these people happened like that. You know, it started to spill over into the provinces. And there was a writing that was picked up by, uh, you know, I'm going to throw some names at you, and Brother Murray would know these names, Vespasian. These people who was in charge of these areas. But, you know, one of these correspondences was picked up. And it was between a man called Pliny. He was a governor of Bithynia. And he wrote to the emperor Trajan. And this is what he asked him about Christians in those days. He said, if we catch these Christians, because it was in those days illegal to be called a Christian, Just if you call yourself a Christian, they would catch you, put you in the jail, and they would start to persecute you. And Pliny writes this letter when he came in. He was very nervous when he started. He was very nervous about these Christians. And he writes to the emperor, he says, What is the rule around age? At what age can we still persecute them? Or is sex, whether it's a male or a female, whether they are boy or girl, old people, what is the rules of persecution around Christians? This is real. And it happened in those days. So as this news spread all over the Roman world, Christians became concerned. And this letter of Peter also started to spread through the region at the same time. And it is so wonderful to see that this letter is also applying to our day. To us here. Because persecution is as real as that. This letter, as I said, is about persecution. Now, persecution can cause one of two things. It can either make you grow or it can cause bitterness in your life. Now, one of the biggest problems with a lot of people is this word here, bitterness. There is a root of bitterness within people. And if you've got bitterness in your heart, you cannot grow. And I'm not talking about in the world. I mean, we expect this to be in the world, don't we? We expect the world to be bitter. The world says, if you beat me on the one side, I'm going to smash you on the other side. An eye for an eye, isn't that what the world say? But what does the Bible say? It's, not, it's different. 
He says, if somebody slap you on the one cheek, turn the other one. Okay, so that makes a Christian in the eyes of the world very weak. It makes it so easy to persecute Christians then. And here it is, you know, if it's happened to you, some people, even in Christian circles, becomes very, very bitter. And there is, a, there is an easy way to understand when people are bitter. When they tell you a story of what's happened to them. I remember back in New Zealand, there's a lady who came there and she wanted to talk with me. And we walked on the beach in Browns Bay. And as we walked on the beach, she was telling me this terrible thing that happened to her. It was an older lady. Her two children was living in, in Auckland. And uh, they wanted to get married. So the mom flew over from South Africa to South Africans. And she wanted to talk to me. And as we walked on the beach, she told me this terrible thing that happened to her. And as we walked, I went, wow, I can't believe all of these things happened to you. And, you know, we walked a long distance. As we came to the other side to turn around, I asked her this question. I said to her, how long ago did this happen? And she said, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. But she told it to me as if it's happened yesterday. She could still tell me all of the fine detail of every single thing that happened 15 years ago. And we started walking back. And as we walked, she kept on going on. And I prayed. I said, Lord, just give me, just guide me. Just give me something. Because I can understand that this bitterness, this root of bitterness that's holding this lady back, if that chain's broken, she will be set free. And there could be growth. There was for 15 years no growth. And as we walked back, I explained it to her. I said to her, look, I understand what you say, but there's one word I want to give you to go and think about. You've got bitterness in your life. You need to give forgiveness. The one thing that's going to break the chain of bitterness is the word forgiveness. That's how you break bitterness. You forgive these people now. And I also explained to her now, I'm, I'm not preaching about forgiveness here today, but I just thought I'll go on about this, okay? Maybe this is for somebody. I said to her, one thing about forgiveness is this, that if you say, because it's so easy to say, oh, I've forgiven them, but when you see them again, there's something strange going on in your heart, isn't it? I'm going to put on this nice smiling place, but in the inside, only you know that, and God. I said to her about this word forgiveness. I said, if you forgive somebody, then it comes to the point that those things hasn't happened at all. Think about that. Yes, you will still have the memory. But when you tell this thing over 10 or 20 years ago, you won't know the fine detail. It becomes just a vague memory. So this is the fact here, which you will see out of this whole letter. Persecution is going to cause... Either growth or bitterness. Now Peter tells them to be courageous in this letter. As we're going to open it up. And we need to take some of that courageousness and courage into this world that we are living in. Their character and their conduct must be above reproach. And this is the child of God. If persecution comes, we don't become like the world and fight persecution like the world. Your character is going to be on, on, on for everybody to see when persecution comes your way. And through your persecution, you have to show the love of God 
This is what this whole letter is going to show us. You know, I remember when uh, Marcel was here last week, he said something which, which really resonated and stuck with me. He said that, uh, in, I think it's Hungary where he's from, he says when he was there, if you stay quiet as a child of God, if you don't go up against the government, they won't persecute you. You just become a special agent for God. You go undercover. There are so many undercover Christians in churches today, in workplaces. Now this is the thing, and, and this is the West. This is the world we are living in, in the Western world. You know, people are just Christians when they are in church, and it's just high fives and hallelujahs here in church. But once they step out of the church and go into the world, how does the world know you? All of a sudden you go, no, no, you know, I'm not going to talk out against this. I'm not going to put a letter into the mailboxes about what's going on in schools. You know, the government knows what's right for schools. We're not going to do that. No, no, we're going to go with the flow. But the moment you start putting out and standing against these things, that is when persecution will come. Are you ready? Are you ready? This is it. And, and this is what he says, but when we go... When we go and persecution happens to us, we need to understand that our character and our conduct needs to be above reproach. You can't walk in here and you say, man, you know, I saw those protesters and I gave them a piece of my mind. No, no, give them the gospel. Don't give them a piece of your mind. Because they will look at you and they'll say, look at that crazy person. Your character and your conduct is not about reproach. And this is what he's going to talk to us. And I want you to prepare in the next seven weeks because he's going to cut deep. And he's going to go deep with these themes. You see, with our character and conduct, Peter is going to touch on the following. He's going to tell them that the fruit of their character must be rooted in submission. Everybody say submission. What do you understand about submission? We're going to touch on that. And he, he touches on these things. He says citizens need to be in submission to the government. We don't fight the government as a church. Yes, we disagree about things. And if the government asks us to sin, we do not sin. But he's talking about submission to the government. Now I want you to remember what I said to you about Nero. And about these governors. These were not nice people. They were persecuting the Christians. But in the same breath still, Peter writes to them, and he says, you need to submit to the government. And I know there might be some people sitting here this morning and say, never, never will I submit to the government. There is a way that you need to submit to the government. And Peter touches on that. I told you he's going to go deep. But it's the Word of God. It's not my ideas. He talks about submission about servants to their masters, wives to husbands. The message in the world these days is no submission within families. That's why we have so many divorces going on. Oh no, I will not submit under my husband. But it also talks about husbands to wives. But what is the world? I mean, I, I, I'm going to be straightforward with you, brothers and sisters. But there's things happening in the world right now which is not biblical. It's straight from the pit of hell. It is straight. And it's influencing the church. And that spirit is coming to the church. May the Lord help us that it won't enter into our church. And, and I say it, if you get offended by the things, may the word of God offend you to the point of, of, of submitting to it. 
But you see, this is what happens. Wives to husbands and husbands to wives. And Christians one to another. He's going to address that and that's going to be so powerful. He deals first with submission before he addresses persecution. He's going to deal first with submission. How you submit. And then he deals in his letter with persecution. Because if you don't understand submission, the persecution will make you bitter. This is why it comes to that point. You have to understand the submission to God. You have to come to the point where you say, Lord, I trust you and you alone. Now that's a lot of talk and you know me, I love to get into the word, don't I? Uh, let me give you some scripture verses here this morning. Persecution is mentioned four times. Four times in this letter. And it is so interesting, and I'm going to show it to you today, that he uses four different words for persecution that will come across the people, the church. The first one we find here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. If you've got your Bible, open it there, because I want you to underline a word or two. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Everybody say trials. He says, For a little while you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perish, though it is tested by fire, may be found to be praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of our Jesus Christ. If you don't know the scripture, verse brothers and sisters, take it home and go and study it. Read it. Read it again. It is such a powerful scripture verse. Remember, persecution either brings growth or bitterness. He's going to come here and he says to them, for a short while you're going to go through trials. How you react to those trials is going to determine the outcome in your life. It's going to determine that. If you want to grow, you're going to accept your trials. You're going to learn submission. And then these trials is going to form a genuineness. This is what's going to be tested. It is similar to like a goldsmith. You know a goldsmith when he applies fire to the gold. He wants to melt the gold and then he applies more fire so that the gold becomes more purer. But I want you to look at this word. Trials. Because he uses a Greek word here, pereiasmos. The, the word here, pereiasmos, means temptation or trials or tests. And this refers to a testing in the context of a, a temptation to sin or to endure hardships. And we do that. We, we endure these hardships, even here in Melbourne, because you're a child of God, isn't it? Temptation comes to everybody in this room. Everybody. I don't have to go back to my black forest cake example. But temptation comes to everybody. He says when this temptation comes, this word here, these trials come to you, your faith is going to be tested. It has to be tested. It has to. Just imagine for yourself, you're sitting here, and you've got a little boat in the harbor, and this boat is called faith. And you polish this boat. You put the best paint on this boat. You put the strongest mast on. You get your friends over and you walk around this little boat called Faith. And you say, look at this big mast that I've put on. Strong. The storms of life can't break it. 
And then you put on the sails and you put on the best ropes you can find. And there it sits. And there it sits. And there it sits. And you bring people around and you tell them how good a boat you've built. Now, is that faith tested? It's not tested. Because there's a break wall. There's some trees. It is inland. The wind starts blowing on, but it don't touch your faith. It is the moment you take this little boat and you push it out into the open sea. And now you see there's a wind. You can see it on the water. You can see there's a wind coming and it fills your sails up and it starts. You can hear on these ropes how the creaking goes on. And it starts to blow fully into this. And that big, big mast there is starting to lean over a bit. And all of the pressure of the wind is on this. And you go, that's fine, that's what it's been built for. And you can see how this little boat picks up speed. And this is us in the church, isn't it? When our faith is good, we're sitting here in church. And now we're picking up speed and everything is going well. And everybody, hallelujah, and praise the Lord. And then what happens? You start seeing in the distance, there's some waves coming. There's some waves. You've never experienced that. And then all of a sudden your little boat hit these waves and it's one moment up and the next moment down. Is that your Christian life? Come on, say amen. Amen. And you hit these waves. But you're okay. Because the waves only come in one direction. And you've got your nose pointed towards these waves. You, you, You expect these waves to hit. But what you didn't know, all of a sudden there's a squirrel going on in the water. And now there's a wind from a, from a side wind that's coming in. And these waves is hitting you, know, not from direct in front of you, but from everywhere. Is that you or is it just me sometimes? But wait a minute. Let's just rewind. Back. When it was over here in the harbor, all was good. When we were just out and it just folded, I was picking up speed. And when it... Now all of a sudden your faith has been tested so much. Some people's ropes break in this voyage. Some people's masts break in this voyage. And you know what is so sad about this sometimes is there's others around and they see there's a little boat who's in trouble. They see that the mast is broken and the, there's maybe a tear in the sails. And instead of going closer and throw out a rope and help, you know what they say? You should have built it stronger when it was in the harbor. <coughs> Do you know people like that? Peter's saying here, these things are going to come. If you want to put this down into my little boat, I will put it in when the wind starts hitting the sail. Some people already break when it comes to these testings and trials and temptations. You don't build enough faith and willpower, God willpower, to go over the temptations. You give in at every single temptation that comes your way. Now he talks about persecution in the second place here. Second, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer, everybody say suffer, for righteous sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. 
This scripture verse became so true to me last year at an incident that happened, which I won't repeat today. Maybe when the testimony is built more stronger, I will talk about it. But he says here, those who will harm you if you become followers of what is good. He says you're becoming a Christian. You're doing what is good. You're now in that little boat in the open sea. The wind is blowing so strong in your sails. You're going, you're picking up speed. You're doing the good things. Along the way, you're helping others on. But even if you suffer for righteous sake, everybody say righteous sake. Righteousness is your lifestyle. Even if your lifestyle is good and people are jealous because of your lifestyle and now you suffer because of doing good. That's what this talks about. He says you suffer for this. You are blessed. But some people won't see it. You see, I come back to the point. Persecution will either make you grow or make you bitter. This is the person who becomes growing. He says, do not be afraid of their threats. You see the word that he uses here for suffer is a different word. It's the word pasco. Pasco, I hope I say it right. I'm not a Greek person. This refers to be to the experience of suffering pain and distress. Now we're getting some waves thrown at that little boat. You see? It's a little bit more intense. It could be emotional pain of losing a loved one or facing rejection. Have you faced rejection in your life? This is that kind of suffering. This is when they say, he's a Christian, I don't want to be associated with him. This is when you go to your family so excited, you say, the Lord saved my soul. And they say, what have you done? This is a little bit more. Now the waves are starting to eat on against your faith. And you know what? Over this lifetime, I've seen some people whose sails started getting tears in them and their, their masts break. And I see some of them where they don't have that speed anymore. And, and you know, this little boat started to go slower and slower. And you know what's the amazing thing? There are other boats around that boat who see. And instead of throwing out a rope, what do they do? They say to these people, you should have built it stronger when it was in the harbor. It is so easy to judge people, isn't it? It's so easy. And here we find this now where it becomes a little bit more, a little bit more. And Peter says to them, he writes to these people, he said, you've heard about what's happening to these Christians here in Rome. It's coming your way, but it's going to come one after the other. And some of them are even sitting there like you today, maybe some of you, and say it will never happen to us because it's happening over the waters. But let it be known these days, it's not only ships that's coming over the waters, but these airplanes is coming faster and quicker. And it will hit our shores. But this is happening now. There are people who are rejecting you. You know, we're going into this old age home and I look at these people and you know what I see on their faces? Rejection. Rejection. These people are sitting there and they suffer. They suffer. Now, it could be that, you know, you're a child of God, you're doing all things and then all of a sudden you fall sick. And you start to experience physical pain or discomfort. This is Pascal. But let me hurry on. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. This is the third place. He said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials. Everybody say trial. He says, do not think it strange concerning fiery trials, which is to try you. Everybody say try. This is something that's going to try you. It's actually coming for you. 
as though some strange thing is happening to you. He says, don't think it's strange. Here you're on the open sea. You've had the wind blowing against your faith. Now there's some waves that came against you. But this is now that side wave, Tony. This is the wave that comes from the side, Adam. This is the things that you didn't expect. You, you are okay with the things that you expect because you can see them. But this is the things that you can't. The word here in Greek is the word porosis. Porosis means a burning, fiery trial. It describes something that feels intense, like being in the midst of a fiery deal. I, I, I talk to people and, and we, we counsel some people and they say to me, you know, it feels as if it's one thing after another. Is that you? It happens in threes, they say, and then the fourth one is around the corner. Is that you? Well, don't take it as a surprise. And, and let me just throw it in here because it's right in my mind fresh now. Those preachers who preach to you and say, just come to Christ, be born again, and your life will be smooth sailing, they are lying to you. Why would Peter write three different words of trials that's coming to your way? This is that thing that just hits you and it's coming for you. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. If you call yourself a child of God, persecution is coming for you. And if you want to have it sooner and quicker, pray for the Lord to, to call you to the Middle East to go and preach the gospel there. You may lose your life sooner than you will lose it right here in Australia. It's coming. But this is so true that Peter is going to write about this. It's a trial that feels like it is engulfed in flames. It feels as if there's no hope. There's no hope. And this is, you know, sometimes like a lack of security for some, some Christians. There's no, there's no protection against slander, boycott. There's mob violence. Have you seen this stuff? Have you seen it against Christians all over the world? It's happening in our day. I, I remember in New Zealand there was... Uh, an Egyptian man, a Christian that I've met, an Egyptian man, and he was telling me this. Right now, I mean, this is now 10, 10, 13, 14 years ago. But he was telling me then that he was living in Egypt as a Christian, and his, the people around him knew he was a Christian. He said to me he couldn't go on holiday to a, a holiday resort. Because what they used to do in Egypt back then is, if, if I go away, I go to the police... And I tell them I'm going to be away from my house for two or three weeks or a week because they will protect your house against squatters. He said, but as a Christian, you can go to the police and the police will call up the squatters and say, you're gone. True story. He told this to me. But here we sit in Australia, man. Australia, land of opportunity. So good. So this is the second word he uses here, sporosis, and let me quickly go on to the third time he referenced this. And this is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced. Everybody say suffering. Are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now he brings it out to the world. He says, I want you to understand, you need to resist him. In fact, I should have put in verse 8. Because in verse 8 he says that the devil is like a roaring lion who goes around seeing who he wants to destroy. He says, but this suffering has come on. The word there for suffering is the word pathema. Pathema. It means it's an experience that's so intense. It refers to a general experience of suffering and undergoing something challenging. 
Uh, it is to endure hardship that life presents. Now, you say to me, but all of these sound the same. Why would the Greek put it into three, diff- four different ways? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's becoming intense. Intense. Now, the heart of the letter is not only suffering. I want to finish with this today. The heart of the letter is actually the cross of Christ. Because if you take your suffering, all of your suffering that you had, and you put it on this side and you look at the suffering that Christ has done, gone through, you, you are light. You are found light. And here we need to understand that the heart of this whole letter that he writes is the cross. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received in tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. And somebody shout hallelujah. The precious blood of Christ. He says you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You cannot pay to be saved. This is why I'm not even after your money. This church is not after your money. I'm not after your wealth. I'm not after your friendship. No, no, we are in fellowship. There's a difference between friendship and fellowship. Yes? That's a different message. I'll just leave that with you. I'm after your fellowship. Fellowship brings us together in Christ. Yes? Now, he says it right here. You know, corruptible things didn't bring us. From your aimless conduct. That's your lifestyle. He says, you were aimless, man. You were just trotting along. Your little boat was there in the open sea, just going in no direction. He says, but here, you received this from your tradition from the fathers. He says, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Where did that that blood spilt? On the cross. Secondly, he says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, For he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. On the tree. So the center point is the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for our sins. Where did He suffer? On the? On the cross. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 13 But rejoice <coughs> but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. Where did He suffer? On the? Now I want to say something here. If you listen to sermons, every single sermon of every pastor should come back to the cross. Back to the cross. I hear a lot of preaching about holiness. Yeah? The whole sermon is about holiness. 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 And he never comes back to the cross. You cannot have holiness without Christ. If you want to preach about holiness, it's fine. The Bible is, I've preached about holiness. You can go and check on YouTube. But it comes back to the cross. There is a lot of people in the world, a lot of religion, who holds on to holiness. Are they right? No, because the Bible says there's only one way to the Father. It's through? It's through? It's through whom? Come on, church, it's through? Jesus Christ. There's only one way to the Father. There's a lot of preaching about discipleship. Have you heard a lot of teachings about discipleship? And it's fine. Because he says, go and make. And now you find so many men who make disciples... For them. For them. I don't want you to become my disciple. Honestly, I'm going to shock you now, but I haven't got time to have this whole church as my disciples. I haven't got time. Oh, that pastor, he hasn't got time for me. 
Well, if that is what you've heard, you've heard it wrong. But if I make, if I can point you, not make, if I can point you towards Christ and I teach you about discipleship to Christ, I've done my work. Yes. I can go play golf a little bit. (laughs) I want to be honest with you. Honest with you. Every sermon that every preacher, listen to the sermons you are listening. If Christ is not the bedrock of that sermons, I don't know what they're preaching. It's got to come back to Christ. And this is the letter, the heart of the letter is Christ. Now, let me finish last verse. I promise you it's the last verse, the key verse. I want you actually, if you've got your Bible, to underline this. I want you to go and read this over and over again. Because this is such a beautiful verse. This, I mean, if this is the only thing that you remember today, remember this verse. Look at this here. But you are a chosen generation. Everybody say, chosen generation. Some people say to me, oh, if I was only born when Paul was around. No, no, no. I don't want to be there when Paul was around. If only I could have been in the time of Peter and James and John. No, no, no. I'm here now. And you know what? I'm a chosen generation. I'm in the same generation as Paul, Peter, John, you know, you name them. A chosen generation. And I can, we will get verse to verse and I'll dig a little bit deeper into that. A royal priesthood. Everybody say royal priesthood. That's what you are. You're a royal priesthood. And you see what's happening here? Royal is royalty. That's the king. In the Old Testament you had two offices. You had the king and you had priests. The king had a work to do and the priests had a work to do. They were never combined. Okay, they were never coming, uh, 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 what's his name? Saul came in and he tried to do the work of a priest and the priest chased him out. But in the New Testament, you've got royalty and priesthood put together in Christ. And now we are, what? A royal priesthood. And then he says, a holy nation. Now some people say, oh, that's Israel. And now the church has replaced Israel. No, no, we are not replacement theology here. The church hasn't replaced Israel. We are grafted in. His own special people. Everybody say special people. That's you. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's you. Think about this. And then he says, that you may. Everybody say, that you may. Why all of these things? He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people that you may get a big head, think so much about yourselves that you can't even walk into this building and become so elite in yourself. I know Christians like that. Okay, so no, no. He says that you may do what? That you may proclaim the praises. <laughs> oh man, it's so fantastic. I should have just preached and we're going to get to this verse. He do all of this for us. And the only thing that He wants from us is what? Come on, no, no, I, I, I think we, we, we close it. There's not food. There's nothing to look forward to. Let me just do this right. Okay, there's nothing to look forward to. You can't smell food outside. You have to land this. All of this is done. Chosen generation, all of this through the cross. That you may proclaim the praises. Everybody say praises. 
We are called to praise God. Amen. He says, praises of Him who called you out of, there's our words there, out of the darkness into the marvelous light. I see some people, I see Ozoli there sitting in his wheelchair on Tuesday. He sits there, he looks at me, I look into his eyes. You saw that, Kara, you saw him, yeah? I look into his eyes and I can start to see a glimmer of light in his eyes. You know why? Because that man was taken out of darkness into the marvelous light. And I tell you one thing, if he could, he couldn't because I could see it in his body. If he could, he would have leaped. He would have leaped. You know, I see some Christians and they go, I'm out of darkness into the marvelous light. Oh, it's such a wonderful to be a Christian. And if that's you, that's you. But brothers and sisters, hey, he took you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Who once were a people, not a people, but are now the people of God. You are now the people of God. To boasting? No, no. He came back. That you may. Everybody say that you may. You're the people of God that you may do what? Proclaim the praises of Him who called you. Isn't it wonderful? Who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy, that you may what? Praise Him. We've obtained mercy that we may praise Him. This is such a beautiful verse. This is why I believe this for me, for me personally, this is the key for me that opened up this letter to me when I read this. And, I, and we're going to go and start from verse 1 and work through verse by verse through this letter. We will even see in the first part when he's going to talk about the diaspora. You know, when he's going to talk about the sojourners. These people who's foreigners, aliens, aliens in the land. I'll tell you this one thing and then we'll pray. We went to, um, I think it was Thailand. Have you been to Thailand? On the airport, as you walk into the airport, it goes, citizens and foreigners. <laughs> Doesn't that make you feel welcome? <laughs> we will talk about that next week. Amen. Have we learned something today? Has the Lord spoken to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you this morning, Father, for your word. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's living, first of all, Lord. Cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. Uh, Father, it is the discerner of the hearts and minds.